Bulls Gold is delivered to you via the Barroom Network, now in its seventh year of providing podcasts about Chicago sports, movies, and more. Make sure to subscribe to the Barroom Network for free and easy downloads of its programming. And visit its merchandising store at deepdishtees.com to purchase t-shirts, hoodies, and mugs. Now, on with the show. Barroom Network. I'm Salim Sutterwala, and as always, I'm joined by Edward Shul Jr. Hey, Ed, how's it going today? Hey, it's going well. Uh, wish we could say the same for our Bulls this week, but with me, everything has been uh, everything. How about you? Yeah, yeah, I'm I'm not uh, too bad personally as far as uh, everything's concerned. I'm I'm doing well. I've been working from home. My my company. Uh, pretty much said that they want everyone that can work from the from your home to work from home to to limit people in the office because of rising cases uh, with COVID. Um, but yeah, the Bulls are <laughs> Bulls aren't doing too hot right now. They're they're dealing with a bunch of injuries and um, they've had two major ass kickings back to back. Oh yeah. Uh, so they're not they're not doing too hot overall, and um, it's it's a bit frustrating. Hopefully, with the Zach Levine news as well, we hopefully we get good news. I mean, they seem optimistic about it, um, but like like we'll see. I guess to uh, end up seeing how long he ends up missing because he's not going to play tomorrow or today or on Mondays. It's looking like yeah, it's his. Uh... This is looking like one of those weeks where when it rains, it pours, and hopefully uh, we get some good news at some point. But uh, yeah, right now, we're, it's looking like a little rough stretch. Yeah, 100%. 100%. Um, yeah, there's, there's a few things we're going to talk about today in general. I, obviously, there was that uh, Woj interview or article with Michael Reinsdorf about AK. There is also... Um, a lot of the, again cl- conflicting rumors on what the Bulls could do uh, in regards to trades, especially with the trade deadline uh, creeping up here with less than a month left. In that regards, um, there's various different things with lineups, obviously with the injuries that we've talked about. Um, and to help us do that is our friend from NBC Sports Chicago, where he covers the Chicago Bulls, is Rob Schaefer. Uh, Rob, thank you for joining us. How are you? I'm great, guys. No complaints. It's uh, 23 degrees in Chicago today, so that's that's actually a step up from what we've had a little bit in recent weeks. But uh, you know, you know, I always love coming on. It's always a, a pleasure and an honor. So thanks for having me. Absolutely, love having you. Yeah, hundred percent. It's always fun having you on, and uh, fun right now, as we said, uh, is not so much as fun watching the Bulls <laughs> because yeah. they're they're really laboring with it, not only missing. Uh, their defensive wings now that like we've said uh we heard bad news about zach as far as at least end game where he had to miss and then they're saying that he had been playing through knee soreness supposedly uh like secretly or whatever not you know they weren't making it public 
but that that's obviously going on as well. Um, yeah, it's just been it's just been kind of tough watching them these last couple of weeks. I would say even defensively, at least. I, I mean, they've been managing the win overall uh, outside of these last two games, but it's it's really been one of those situations where you you really see the value in guys like Caruso, uh, Javante. Um, and then obviously now you also lose uh, after the Nets game, you lost Derek Schoen Jr. for like two, four weeks. Um, what has your, been your thoughts on watching them? Like even with effort wise, it's been kind of frustrating in that regards too. Yeah, I think that was the most disappointing part of the Warriors game for sure. And then in some ways, the second half of that Nets game is how, uh, you know, the effort waxed and waned throughout. This is something that Billy echoed in his postgame comments after the Warriors game, DeMar you know, talked about how uncharacteristic it was for this team to not show as much defensive effort as they have in the past. And like, and like you said, Celine, this has been trending for a couple of weeks. Billy's been talking about it. The Bulls, since the start of that nine-game winning streak, that season-long nine-game win streak, are 23rd in defense in the NBA. And, you know, for the first quarter of the season, when they got off to the hot start they got off to, the defensive intensity, the defensive play style, uh, the defensive identity and the aggression that they were playing with and the way it was sparking their fast break, like that was one of the more pleasantly surprising storylines of this bull season. It's obviously taken a little bit of a hit of late. I think you could argue some of that is kind of regression to the mean a little bit, but also, I mean, you can't overstate the loss of Alex Caruso, especially, and then Javante starting at the four, bringing the kind of chaotic energy that he was, he was bringing and Derek Jones Jr. His length um, and activity as well. Those all hurt. Uh, I don't think they single-handedly make up, you know, a 42 point deficit or, you know, whatever it was in the second half against the Nets, 30 to 35 points. But I do think when and if you start getting those guys back, the defensive just energy level, compete level will hopefully improve because, you know, not only are those guys kind of heart and soul of the team guys in terms of the, uh, you know, just frenetic vibe they bring on the court. Caruso especially is also a big, big presence in terms of his defensive communication. And, you know, a lot of the breakdowns that you saw against the Warriors, especially, I think you would hope that, you know, better communication, better organization could remedy some of that. Uh, but yeah, it, it's, it's been the defense. It's been that kind of um, just, just, I, I hate to use a cliche, but just grit level that this team had at the beginning of the season. It just doesn't seem to be there. It's, it's kind of the dog days of the season. So in some ways that's understandable. You have the, you have the Warriors loss where Zach goes out in the first three minutes of the game. That's a traumatic thing. Uh, but for the ceiling, this team is flashing for two just kind of marquee games, Nets, Warriors. Obviously, they were nationally televised. Those are contending teams. Not as if the Warriors were whole either without Clay and Draymond. So, you know, it kind of rings hollow when you talk about, oh, well, you know, the Bulls were shorthanded. Well, you know, maybe, you know, if you, if you stack them up against each other, maybe it's even or maybe the Bulls were, you know, a little bit more disadvantaged because Zach goes out mid game. That kind of screws with their rotations. But, um, you know, I, I just I just don't think given where this team wants to go and given you know, the ceiling that they've flashed, that those are acceptable results. So, you know, who knows how long Zach's going to be out. We haven't gotten the update on his MRI as of yet. Caruso is still kind of stuck in protocol limbo. Definitely going to miss at least the next two games. He's not traveling with the, with the team right now on the strip to Boston and Memphis. But, uh, you know, the work's cut out for them because you got, you're at Boston tonight. That's a team that's been inconsistent, but on any given night, you know, they have the talent to, to be dangerous um, at Memphis, hottest team in the NBA. Um, 
Cleveland, Milwaukee on the docket next week. Cleveland's obviously already beaten the brakes off the Bulls uh, this season in Cleveland, Milwaukee, a team they haven't seen yet, but even when the Bulls are fully healthy, I think their size and obviously Giannis presents a lot of matchup problems. So, you know, that's, you know, there's a good and bad aspect to that. There's ample opportunity to right the ship. There's also ample opportunity for this uh, minor downturn to, to, you know, become more less and less minor um, by the day. You know, it's easy to say, Oh, it's only one game. It's only two games, but um, you know, similar to how these last two games have gone, if that downturn snowballs into an avalanche, um, you know, it, it just, it, it, it could wind up with a, with a recalibration of expectations um, or just, you know, generally the bad vibes continuing, but it, it, the one thing's for sure, whether they lose or win the defensive competitive level, just the effort level has to be better than it was against the Warriors because the, I think the, the Bulls fan base, the United Center has welcomed this team with open arms. This season has been so warm. Obviously, the MVP chance for DeMar, every time he's at the free throw line, Zach's gotten a couple too. Uh, the, some of the atmospheres that the UC this year have been just electric. The city is buzzing about this team. And they were getting booed walking off after the first half last night uh, of the Warriors game, being down 31. And big deficits can be a factor in why you get booed, but I don't think they're always the whole reason. And I think it was the crowd kind of picking up on that lack of energy um, that led to that. So that, that was something I didn't think I was going to see at the United center this year. I even joked that, you know, just given the hodgepodge of guys on the floor, it, it, it almost felt like one of those, you know, rebuilding year blowout games. And um, that's something that I thought personally, that this team was passed. Um, obviously they've hit a little bit of adversity, a little bit of a rough stretch here, and uh, they've just got to find a way to dig themselves out of it. So what does all of this do for perception right now? Because, if if someone is just like a casual NBA fan where they only watch the games that are on ESPN and TNT, then this was their first glimpse of really seeing this Bulls team and they see them get thrashed by the Nets and Warriors, even though they did beat the Nets earlier, you know, twice in the season without Kyrie. But like, what does this do for perception and what does this do for any thoughts of contending? There's so many mixed, like, Things that you have to consider when you consider the health of, you know, what's going to happen with Zach Levine, uh, still missing Caruso, still missing Javante Green. Uh, Derrick Jones Jr. is going to be out for a little bit. So there's so many uh, missing pieces on this team right now as we like a game away from the halfway point. And the Bulls still sit first in the Eastern Conference. But does this week, is this like a potentially a week that you could see looking back on where it's like that's kind of where things kind of like you know trailed off a little bit or is this something that the team can actually bounce back from yeah I, I think it's obviously it's possible that we look back on this as a as a negative turning point in the season it's it's probably you know i i, I wouldn't want to go there yet especially because like you said edward the perspective is that they're still first in the east um you know in terms of perception though Obviously, this has a, a, a huge negative impact on that. To, like you said, casual observers, national pundits. Like I was, I was on my phone this morning looking at the ESPN app. You've got Stephen A. and Will Bond, you know, just kind of railing on the Bulls. And uh, a lot of things we were talking about, like the effort and intensity level, which is obviously unacceptable stuff. Talking about how, you know, they're not a true contender. There's levels to contention. And I actually think, I mean, I certainly would have said this. I think most Bulls fans would have conceded even before this week that in terms of actual championship equity, the Nets and Bucks have still kind of been on a tier of their own when they're both healthy. Um, and then kind of the Bulls heat are kind of in that one B to two tier. So 
I know I, I'm trying not to let, you know, two pretty demoralizing losses as demoralizing as they are, mm-hmm. you know, move me off of uh, that because this team has looked, you know, that they they have a almost a half season's worth of body of work before these two games, um, especially when they're healthy. That shows that they're better than the team that they were uh, the last two games. But perception wise, it's it's damaging. That's for sure. Um, the positive spin I would put on that if I can put a positive spin on it. And this is something Zach alluded to after the Nets game is this is a team that was at their best this season when they had that kind of, Oh my God, I'm, I'm overloading the cliches like crazy today, (laughs) but uh, they had this kind of, nobody believes in us chip on the shoulder mentality where they were out to, to prove people wrong, et cetera, et cetera. And, you know, I'm not saying that that totally flipped because they're obviously still, you know, doubters of the bulls or whatever. There certainly are more now after these last two games. And Zach even alluded to this, and I don't think he meant it in a, in a, in a bad way, but just that after the Nets game specifically, you know, we have and had been playing with a little bit of a chip on our shoulder. Now maybe this is a chance to kind of get that back. Now uh, the rebuttal to that is, well, <laughs> then what happened the next game? You know, you had a 26-point loss to Brooklyn. You come out on your home floor against the Warriors, give up 138 points again, and get beat by the largest margin of the season. So they haven't inspired a tremendous amount of confidence that that chip on the shoulder thing is going to work out so far. Uh, but maybe eventually that, um, you know, that that is the case for how this stretch can kind of turn itself around. We'll see if they're able to do that. But from a personnel perspective, this defense, these defensive issues um, to me, just from what you see on the floor right now, I just kind of don't know how they get fixed until you get uh, Caruso and Javante back. The Bulls obviously can't afford to think that way. Uh, but just as an observer, it's been on this steady downturn for so long. And it's obviously fallen off a cliff um, without Caruso, Javante and, and Derek Jones Jr. in there um, that I think, that is going to be more of an uphill battle. Um, but, you know, I think that's the case for how it gets turned around. They kind of re- refocus, reset, and uh, commit back to that kind of prove-it mindset because I think it'd be fair to say that, that that singular focus on, you know, having that chip on the shoulder slipped uh, in these last two games. Yeah. yeah, and, you know, it's interesting to see what Billy will do here with these rotations and I know originally it's thinking, okay, well, how are we going to supplement the the starting four position? Because you're missing not only your starter, but that you're missing your backup to your backup. Uh, you're down to like your essentially fourth string uh, power forward um, situation in, in that sense. But now obviously with Zach out these next two, at least these next two games, you know, these rotations are going to get really wonky um, you're going to be playing a lot more Matt Thomas off the bench, uh, unfortunately. And um, I'm, I'm guessing maybe Io ends up in the starting lineup. Maybe you commit to uh, a completely guard-oriented lineup with Vooch, outside of Vooch, obviously, starting at center. Um, what what do you see as far as what you think Billy's going to do? I mean, I, I guess I don't know if there's not much, if there is much he can do. Um, other than the stuff that I just mentioned, but like, do, do you see anything else that he could try? Yeah, I think, I think it's going to be a lot of Troy Brown Jr., a lot of Alfonso McKinney on the wing. And then, like you said, I mean, I, I think I would predict, and I've, I always get these starting lineup predictions wrong. I, I think I'm becoming famous for, uh, <laughs> for, for missing on those, especially in a podcast format, but I would right. guess Kobe, I would guess Kobe first. And then maybe IO slides into the starting lineup just because they've, um, you know, it, at most turns with a backcourt spot open, they've gone to, to Kobe there. Um, but either way, I mean, yeah, it's, it's Billy likes to go eight or nine deep, but they don't have an eight or nine deep right now. That is particularly competitive compared to what they had um, at the beginning of the season. I mean, 
add insult to injury, you know, no pun intended there. Lonzo being questionable with knee soreness is like, and just for the amount of minutes that he's played this season, even with the COVID absence, like that adds to it too. Um, So I I don't, I, (laughs) I don't know how Billy solves this problem. I just given how candid he is, I think he would admit, and we're going to talk to him pregame before the Celtics game. I think he would even admit that he's kind of flying by the seat of his pants too, at this point, um, because this season has had so much tumult in that respect. But, um, you know, you're just going to have to, I, I think what you could do as a fan is just kind of pray that you get, you know, a couple good Troy Brown junior games here and there, Alfonso McKinney, um, who hustles, that's for sure. Um, but gets hot, maybe shooting the ball. Cause that's, you know, can maybe juice them, um, a little bit, but I mean, it's no secret. I mean, the half court offense has been, you know, an inconsistency all season and when they're not defending at the level that they were early in the year and they can't get out in transition, um, it's just been, I don't want to say it's been an offense struggle, but it's been a struggle at both ends. Like those two things affect each other. And clearly the defensive struggles have been bleeding into the offense lately. Um, and they just need to get right game. I mean, I, I think this Boston uh, matchup is an opportunity. Like Boston isn't a bad team by any means, but the bulls did to them in Boston earlier this season, what the bulls just had done to them against the warriors and Nets. So maybe if they can cleanse the palate there, um, you know, it, they could, they could get themselves back on the right track here, but uh, I will say, it, you know, as isolation heavy as Boston is and as much criticism as as they get, matching up with Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum tonight without Caruso, without Javante, without Derek Jones Jr. I mean, that's, you know, that's up there with kind of the toughest wing defensive matchups in the league and the Bulls won't be fully stepped for it. So uh, it'll be a challenge. Um, you know, like I said, I, I'm sure Billy would even admit that uh, it's going to be a guessing game. It's going to be a trial and error without much margin for error. Um, but we'll, we'll see how they're able to handle it. Um, they have a track record this season, the bulls of, of responding to adversity. They have, you know, through the first 30 to 35, some odd games, they haven't the last couple. Um, and they're going to have to, you know, lean on that and see if they can, you know, grit their teeth and get through the stretch here. All right. So I need you to solve something or solve. And then I need you to project what's going to happen going forward. So, I think if you follow Bulls Twitter, Vucevic is probably the most polarizing player on the team. And he's had flashes like recently, like the last like month or so where like we've gotten more like decent games out of him. But I think a lot of fans like see him and they feel like he's not playing at the like with the urgency or the level that they would want from a guy like Vucevic who's been an all star and you know, can play really good basketball. So if Zach Levine is going to miss however many games, I think a lot of people are going to look at him as someone who's going to have to step up. What do you, do you think that he can do that? And what do you think has been like ultimately his like, you know, his, his like problem this season in terms of like really putting together some like long consistent stretches of good play? Yeah, I really don't. I I really can't say that I have one clear answer. I mean, it's it's the way it's been explained by, you know, obviously Vooch and Billy and people within the team, you know, especially at the beginning of the season when he was in that kind of all time awful shooting slump is this role adjustment where he's posting up less usage is lower offense isn't being run through him. And he's just being put in situations that he's been in in his career, but just not at the volume that he is now. Um, So, you know, maybe that's a factor. I mean, there also could just be the factor of 
being inconsistent. I mean, I again, Vooch was pretty consistent when he came over at the trade deadline last season. I don't really know what his track record was in Orlando on a night in, night out basis. You know, you catch him um, a couple nights a year, um, you know, being kind of a, you know, local, regional um uh, you know, NBA reporter or whatever. Yeah. Um, but, you know, there might just be an inconsistent quality, especially with kind of the shooting variance with him. Um, that's possible. I actually think when you look at the season in, in some he's had, you know, from what I, from what I can glean one of, if not his best defensive season, but obviously, you know, like games like the Warriors game, games like the Nets game, he's kind of, he's, he's not going to create advantages for you on that end. Like at his, at his best, he could just stay solid positionally and, you know, not give up cracks. And then you kind of rely on your, you know, point of attack guys who, again, the Bulls don't really have right now um, to wreak havoc. So I, I, I don't really know what it is. I don't know what the answer is. Maybe, you know, with a guy like if, if Zach is out for any extended period of time and it's Vooch and Damar, those are the featured two pieces. Um, maybe things slow down a little bit offensively and he's able to, you know, get in a, a few more post touches, um, get rolling a little bit with stuff going through them. Maybe they're staggering these kind of bench units of guys that are not, um, you know, thought of as scorers, but can be defensive energy guys, your Troy Brown juniors or IOs. Um, maybe he can kind of, you know, have a more ball dominant role and uh, get himself rolling a little bit. I mean, that's kind of the closest thing I can say, but it's, you know, there's no escaping scoring wise. He's been inconsistent this season and it has kind of shown up at times when the bulls needed him to step up the most. I mean, right before, the, the Bulls had their little COVID pause and then launch into this nine game win streak where um, Vooch, you know, really seemed like he turned a corner in terms of playing better. Um, those games against Cleveland and Miami, those blowout losses on the road uh, back in December, those were kind of like, to me, the low point of his season. And those were two games where the Bulls were severely shorthanded and needed him to step up. Um, and, you know, that frustrates nobody more than Vooch, who's, uh, you know, whatever criticism you may have on him, you can't say he's a selfish player or not a team guy. Like that's, every frustration that he has is with himself for not helping the team. Um, so that's, that's the one thing that you can't say about him. Um, so I don't know what the answer is. It's just they, but you're absolutely right that the bulls need more consistency for him from him, especially um, if Zach is out, it's a big opportunity for him um, to step up. And I think, you know, the one thing that I would, um, you know, lean on if I was trying to be an optimist about Vooch is that maybe, you know, with a little bit more in the touches department in terms of, uh, offense being run through him. Maybe that's the way that he finds his rhythm over an extended um, stretch and is able to get rolling. Um, other than that though, defensively, I don't know that it's getting easier for him again until they get the full complement of their point of attack guys back because so much of the bulls uh, defensive success early in the season was predicated on that. And you see when, you know, and this is no shot at anybody, but just when, you know, the Alex Caruso's of the world are replaced by guys further down the depth chart, uh, it just doesn't look the same. Um, so yeah, big, big, big stretch for Vooch. I mean, the guy's not a two-time all-star for nothing. So it's not like, you know, it's not like he's never been through ups and downs in his career before and hasn't come out of them and hasn't, you know, developed and been resilient. Um, but given that he's in this level of a winning situation for the first time in his career, I don't think it's an understatement to say um, that this season is one of the most important, if not the most important of his career. And this stretch coming up for the Bulls right now, um, to me, just in terms of, salvaging and kind of staying on the right track is about as important of a stretch as they've faced uh, so far this year. Yeah. And I, I think it's to a point where we, I think they need to focus on going to him a lot more in this stretch too, just kind of feed him the ball and slow the game down even more. I know they have, um, I mean, technically by the 
by traditional pace standards. They're not yeah. a they're not a fast team, but they do run a lot when they when they get on on the break, especially off of, off of steals and things like that. Um, what I would like them to do is just slow the game down right now because you don't have the bodies to really do what you want to do normally, and get Vooch the ball and like force him force feed him in the post like kind of go back to his Orlando days essentially uh is is the, that I have as far as um as far as really getting him going and and getting you know making sure that he he stays involved all game because like yesterday I, he started out rough and it was it was frustrating seeing him like get out out hustled by Kevin Looney um, and obviously Kevin Looney is a solid rotation player, but it's like, it was kind of, it kind of had flashbacks of the Deadmon game against the Heat. It's like, man, these guys are backups, dude. You shouldn't be getting like out hustled and you shouldn't be getting bodied by these guys. Like you should, you, you should be out there dropping 30 points. Um, and and Celine, to, your, to your point there, like to me, the most enduring image from the Warriors game last night was that inbounds pass that Vooch had with about 30 seconds left in the first half when he just kind of, you know, lackadaisically rolled it in and it gets stolen. I think it was by Otto Porter Jr. And then shoveled to Curry for a three. And, you know, what, you know, the Bulls are looking at maybe it's, I can't remember exactly how much time was left. So I don't know if there was a two for one situation or at least they were going to be able to run the clock out and try to get something. I mean, the game might already been out of reach at that point, but get something before the half. Um, and for that play, to me, it was just so emblematic of the looseness that the Bulls played with offensively and the just, you know, like I said, haphazard, lackadaisical nature they played with just generally. Um, and that was him. And he, he does have little sequences like that. And you could see, I mean, we were sitting right there on that on that baseline. Uh, the media seats were and you could see him like kicking himself for that mistake. Um, but that kind of slippage to me was just emblematic of where the team has been the last few games and. That's your with Zach out. That's your second best player. That's that's a guy who's yeah. supposed to be carrying that that all star right, right. Yeah. Um, standard. Sorry, I was just saying that's the thing. Like, yeah, everyone everyone wasn't pay, playing up to par, but like he's he's one of the top guys. So he needs to lead by example. It's that's the thing that what it comes down to, and, and situations like that. And I've defended Vooch a lot this year. Like a lot of things, a lot of times people, you know, crap on him about the defensive breakdowns. Um, a lot of times it's not his fault because of uh, the point of attack defense and the connectivity as far as people hitting on their rotations is not on Vooch. Um, he's doing usually what he needs to do on, on, on in the drop coverage, that is, uh, and hitting his marks. Like you mentioned earlier, his defense has not been actually – has been pretty solid this year within the scheme. Um but yeah, like stuff like that, it's just like, man, come on, you can't, we need you to really enforce your will. And we really need you to like lead this team because now you have, now you're going to be without Zach. You're going to be without all these other players that tend to enforce their will on the game. So we need you to be that guy now. Mm-hmm. And, the, and the other thing you do, so I think I, 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 I kind of agree with you, Salim, about the, the slowing down the game aspect of it. Um, you know, maybe I, I know like the Bulls don't want to become the most post dominant team in the league like they were in the second half of last season, but getting them a few more touches there, that's a way that you can enforce your will and impose yourself on a game. Right. Right. Um, right. And the other thing you do there and you, you do it when, you know, when he's in pick and roll, cause he's such a good short role playmaker. You also get his passing involved a little bit because, you know, there were a couple possessions early in the Warriors game when the, when the outcome of the game wasn't decided where, you know, he got the ball in the post drew two, and then you, you know, let's, you know, talking about 
what the Bulls still do have, you still do have Lonzo Ball. You still do have Kobe White, like prolific catch-and-shoot three-point shooters that, you know, as poorly as Lonzo played from a ball security perspective last night, was shooting the ball pretty well. Um, like, if you can get his passing involved out of the post, too, which yeah. usually makes the right reads there. Um, I, 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 if, if you're trying to get him going and by, and, you know, by getting him going by extension, getting the team rolling a little bit, you know, maybe that is the answer. DeMar, obviously, is somebody who can thrive in a slower-paced game. Um, just cut down the number of possessions because the Bulls aren't generating turnovers the way that they were at the beginning of the season right now without their point of attack, guys. It's not right when the game is chaotic. That was something that was benefiting them earlier in the season. Now it seems like when there's chaos, they're coming out on the wrong end of it. Um, you know, just loose balls. I mean, how many 50 50 balls did they get beaten to last night, even in the Brooklyn game? Um, so, there, yeah, there, you're right. There has to be some kind of tone switch there. Yeah, and, that, and that's what I mean, too. That not necessarily just giving the ball and having back on the defenders. More so just giving him the ball, and then he can find cutters and things like that, too, because he's a good passer. He has good vision on, as, as a big man. So it's not, like I say, it's not just about getting him the ball and just, hey, back up whatever center is guarding you. That's not, that's not yeah. the only thing that you can do with him. Mm-hmm. 100%. So let me uh, let me throw this in there, depending on like we, we've been talking about the trade deadline, which is four weeks away. And, uh, you know, God forbid if, if Zach is out for a, a pretty significant amount of time. But do you think that there is a world where if he is that it could influence the Bulls in terms of what they their mindset going into the trade deadline? Because I think right now. You know, there's been a lot of talk about if Patrick Williams is going to be available, if Kobe White is available. I think like there was an article that was speculating that Kobe White would be available for the right price, but that Patrick Williams is not someone that they're looking to move. But what do you think happens if you know Zach is out? Let's say eh, like four weeks, three weeks. I don't know, something like that. Would that be something big enough to alter their mindset heading into the trade deadline? I think something, and it's obviously kind of too early to speak totally firmly on it. So I'm, you know, put the, put the speculative tag on, on all this, but I think a week to week thing like that, I don't know if that influences the, the big picture thinking for this season. Um, Cause you know, you're getting him back at some point, obviously God forbid, and it doesn't look like it's training in that direction, okay. but something season ending that, that changes probably the calculus a little bit more. Um, but no, I, I think, and you know, I, I know the Bulls like they they like Kobe White, the front office, um, and obviously Billy uh, really likes Kobe and and Casey um, Casey Johnson reported yesterday that the Bulls are, are not intent on moving Kobe by any means, but I think anybody you know nobody on this team is necessarily untouchable outside of the core guys, and this front office has been so bold and aggressive um, at every turn this season. Or uh, sorry, since they got here, um, that was before they were the top seed in the East. Um, like, I don't know. I, 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 I'm really curious to see what happens at this trade deadline. Cause I'm not sure that I really know what to expect. Like you said, there's a lot of conflicting information out there. Um, but the, on the, on the Zach question, I think two to four weeks, like that type of timeline, I don't know if that can affect your thinking that much. Cause at that point you're coming back, mm-hmm. you know, maybe after the all-star break and you've still got enough ramp up time to get, you know, for the postseason. the bulls. Here's another, here's another positive spin. Um, Cause I, you know, I know people, there might be a market for that right now. Some, some, some optimism after the last two games, this is why, as this is why it was so valuable, regardless of what the level of competition was for the bulls to bank all these wins early in the season. Like they do have a little bit of a, uh, you know, cushion here. 
um, in terms of still hanging around in that, you know, top of the Eastern Conference playoff picture, even if they're not, you know, after this stretch of games, I think it's certainly feasible that they can drop out um, of the one seed. Um, but they, they still are, you know, going to be in that top four conversation, um, I would think, uh, throughout uh, the end of the season. Obviously, Zach's health, um, you know, TBD there, that, that could affect things. But, um, yeah, to put it to typo on that, I, I think I think a week-to-week thing can't affect your long-term thinking too much. Season-ending would. Um, but, no, I, I, I think this, you know, I think they're going to look to improve any way they can. Um, I don't think they're eager to move guys like Patrick Williams or Kobe White uh, by any means, but um, you know, if they've proven anything, this new front office over the last two years that they've been here, essentially it's that, um, you know, anything is conceivable, you know, for the right price. Yeah. That's funny. Like we we've talked about trades, like pretty much like, (laughs) I feel like the last month on this, on on this show, (laughs) uh, what the bulls could do, especially with the Patrick uh, Williams situation. Um, and hearing the things that AK has said, as far as him talking about team chemistry, taking that into consideration when making a big move. And then we've, we've heard these conflicting uh, reports where one report says that the Bulls will, will not make Patrick Williams available, but they're open to training Kobe White. And then the next day, another uh, KC drops the tip and said, no, they love Kobe White. They, they they think he's a high IQ player and they're, they're not going to trade or they'll open to trading Patrick Williams. Um, so again, we're back at the whole, you know, uh, chess match that, or the, the, uh, or the uh, equation, I should say that is AK. Like, what is he going to do? Um, what is, what do you see as far as, do you think, would you be surprised? Like you said, you know, you said that, you know, you can't, anything is possible but with him but would you be surprised if you traded patrick williams here and, and really tried to go after a jeremy grant um or a harrison barnes or who knows you probably go after another player that we haven't really talked about yeah no it wouldn't surprise me it wouldn't surprise me um I, again like if asked to predict i would i would have to ride the fence just because i this front office like you think you haven't figured out and then they go you know completely, you know, in another direction. Uh, but no, no, it, it wouldn't surprise me at all. It would be significant. That's for sure. Because Patrick Williams was the first personnel move that they made forget draft pick. And he is a top four pick. And, you know, obviously he is someone that flashed uh, a pretty high ceiling. Um, and that, you know, it, what, you know, if he's not traded is a building block for the future. Like he's, uh, he's in, enormously important as that kind of bridge piece when, you know, when and if Damar and Vooch age out to have that, you know, just speaking of the vision here, Zach Lonzo and Patrick Williams is kind of your your three kind of future building blocks. Um, but no, it, it wouldn't surprise me, especially in, in a Jeremy Grant deal, just because uh, Grant is, I think, the hottest commodity on the trade market right now. I think not a perfect fit. I mean, who is? But a pretty good fit for what the Bulls need. Um, there are some ties there. You know, obviously, he shared some time with AK in Denver. Billy coached him in OKC. They have they if if they are going to actively pursue him, they have a good idea for who he is uh, as a person and player. And you know, I think with the trade stuff, the Bulls are a little bit limited from an asset perspective. But so are a lot of the contenders just to have mortgaged their their future draft capital. And when you look at it specifically for the Detroit deal, I think Patrick Williams is uh, you know it got to be a pretty desirable return uh, for a team like Detroit, who obviously coveted him in the 2020 draft and are just kind of looking are in asset accumulation mode. And I don't really know who the young player is that is more, 
intriguing from a ceiling perspective than Patrick Williams, who's on the table in a, in a Jeremy Grant um, trade. That's just my personal opinion. Cause I, you look around like at the suitors, the Lakers are reported to be in, right. That's kind of a Talon Horton Tucker center package. You know, I probably prefer Patrick Williams as a prospect to him. Um, like you go down the line. So uh, it wouldn't necessarily surprise me. I don't know if I would predict it, um, but uh, you know, I, I, I certainly would bet that the bulls are uh, exploring and thinking about that very seriously because I don't know what your guys thought uh, on this is, but you know, when I think about, and I, I, I don't want to put a ceiling on Patrick Williams. He's 20 years old um, and has such a versatile skill set and plays such a premium position. But when I think of kind of high percentile outcomes for him, I think Jeremy Grant is one of the higher percentile outcomes for that. A, that a guy like Patrick Williams could have. And this is, just, again, this is just my personal opinion. When I look at, you know, grabbing a window that, May, and maybe people's opinions have changed because of the two blowouts. That's understandable. But, you know, when you have a window, those things aren't promised. And for me, it's kind of like I, I see the logic. I see I see the logic either way, but I definitely see the logic of, um, you know, going after a guy in Jeremy Grant that is, you know, an 80, 90th percentile outcome for Patrick Williams and just having that guy now uh, that you could slide into the four. Um, so there's certainly an argument for that. Um, there's an argument for hanging on to him, especially if the Zach thing is a, is a prolonged absence. Um, but you know, all of that is a long winded ride defense way of saying we'll see. Uh, and I'm excited no. to see because, uh, I would not have predicted a splash, the level that they made, uh, last headline with the Vucevic trade. And that kind of came out of nowhere. So, um, as a fan, as kind of frustrating as it is, cause I know people are dying for, for rumors and tidbits and nuggets anywhere they can get them. As a fan, the big picture, I kind of would want my front office to operate like this in a way that has, you know, not only like media types guessing, but also opposing front offices. Yeah. Um, because if that if conflicting information is getting out, that means that conflicting right. sources, you know, sources are conflicted um, on different things. So it, the big picture as a fan is that that's kind of how I would want my my front office See, to be operating. I, I guess it comes down to because Harrison Barnes and Jeremy Grant aren't sexy names. So I, I guess when you bring that, like when people bring that up as like trade possibilities, like they're they're players who you definitely think can improve the team, but with Patrick Williams, who like again twenty years old, high upside, and it's just that that mystery of it. It, it mm-hmm. getting someone like Barnes or Grant to many doesn't come across as worth it. But I agree with you that I, I think there's a very in a in a best case and realistic scenario i think there's a i think harrison barnes and jeremy grant are decent outcomes for patrick williams right like harrison yeah. barnes is a long-term like he, he's been in the nba for what like uh eight years now and he's probably gonna have like a 16 17 year career and he's been on some good teams and he's a a guy that can add value offensively he's defense has kind of been up and down throughout his career but he doesn't really kill you on that end jeremy grant you know kind of similar thing but i think those are acceptable outcomes and if you apply it to a team now like when when i when i think of the levine injury and again we don't know how long he's going to be out but it really continues to make things click for me that you don't know how long you don't know if this is you, you don't know if there's going to be more chances comparable to this season going forward to really win. And because injuries happen, other teams get better, players, you know, regress. You know, there's a bunch of variables that happen. And this team has been hot this season. 
So if you can get a guy now who can continue that and keep that iron hot, like I completely get it. So yeah. and and, and yeah. Grant, for what it's worth, is twenty seven. Yeah. I mean, yeah. he's it's not like he's a rental, and he's and he's under contract through next season. He kind of fits the timeline. That's when Vooch comes off the books. Mm-hmm. Um, like there, there, there's a case that that could be not a purely short term move. Also, yeah. So like, so how do you? It, let's let's say they do get a Harrison Barnes or a Jeremy Grant. Let's just say they get a decent four, three, four who definitely fills that role that, you know, we have a hole at in the starting lineup or wherever. How much better do you think that makes the Bulls going forward? Do you think, like, I, I don't think they're going to be favorites to beat Milwaukee in a series, but do you think that evens them with Brooklyn or maybe leapfrogs them against Miami? Like, where do you think that puts them at in a playoff series against the best in the Eastern Conference? I still, even as they've beaten Brooklyn twice this season, and we got to see how they stack up against Milwaukee, I still just trust the kind of proven experience nature of those two teams in terms of like their own level of contention. So I don't think on, I, I don't think in a purely on paper assessment, I could put them over Brooklyn or Milwaukee, even with a move like that, but it certainly equips you better to match up and again, no, there's no surefire matchup mm-hmm. for Kevin Durant. There's no surefire matchup for Giannis Antetokounmpo. Those guys are not getting stopped or even contained or slowed down necessarily by one person. I mean, look at the Bucks Net series from last year where P.J. Tucker was kind of lauded for the job that he did on Kevin Durant, and he was getting 40, 50 points dropped on him. It was just, he was he was he was making life difficult for him. That's kind of all you could do against the great players at a certain point. But I think with a guy like. Jeremy Grant, especially just because of his defensive upside, I think it certainly puts you in a better position for those matchups than, mm-hmm. you know, God bless Javante Green, who's done a great job this season with with the role that he's been in. But just from a size perspective, from, you know, just all those different things, like I don't know how confident you could feel going into a playoff series against the Nets or Bucks with your primary, you know, wing stopper types against Giannis and KD being Javante, Derek Jones Jr. whenever he gets back. Lump Caruso in there too. But again, you know, as much as Caruso is a big guard, I mean, KD could just play over the top of him. Giannis, I mean, mm-hmm. is a freight train. Um, so again, I, this is why I say the Grant fit isn't perfect. Like he's not a stop. He's not a stopper in relation to those guys by any means, but I think he puts you in a better position. He's better than any of the options the Bulls have um, in-house. And if he's amenable to kind of sliding back to a similar offensive role to what he had in Denver and OKC, I think he fits pretty well offensively too. Um, the one question I would have is, is uh, from a rebounding perspective, uh, I, I'm not sure that he helps the Bulls more than the options that they have in house in that respect. Um, but that's kind of secondary to to kind of the upside um, yeah. that he brings. So, I, I, I so I, I don't know if I could confidently put them over the top of those two kind of preeminent contenders, Brooklyn and Milwaukee. Uh, but I'd feel a lot more confident about. Uh, the way they match up with them going into a playoff series. I think it puts you closer to that position where obviously the bulls are in the game right now, but you're really in the game in the sense that you're, you're one of those teams that's a break or two away. Right. And those yeah. breaks come every postseason. It's just a matter of who they break in favor of. Um, so to me, it, it, it raises their ceiling. I, I can't put them over the top. I, I don't know that I would pick them in a series against Brooklyn and Milwaukee before seeing them match up um, with the new, the new squads on paper. Um, but it certainly would put them in in a better position, yeah. uh, in my opinion. I think I think Salim, like I, I'm re- like hearing you say that, and what Salim said on last week's show when he said that the best strategy really is to create a team that gives you a chance against 
the non like generational talents that are left on the team outside of Giannis and Katie because they're going to get there. So if you can put together a team that can stop everyone else on that team, mm. maybe that gives you the best chance. I, I kind of like how he how he put that on the show last week. That is, yeah, that is, in- yeah. yeah, that is interesting. That is interesting. And the, I mean, I, I just from a personnel perspective, one whole having Grant, Lonzo, Caruso. I yeah. mean, it, it just, especially against, and and by the way, you know, we're talking about Durant because he's obviously, you know, the the main matchup issue that you have to worry about. You also got to worry about James Harden and who knows what's up with Kyrie, but probably yeah. Kyrie too. Um, Kyrie didn't even play well, uh, particularly well by his standards um, in the Nets game at, at the at the United Center, but um, I would imagine he's only going to get better the more games that he gets under his belt. Um, so, I mean, just, just think about that going to a playoff series against Brooklyn, for example, Grant, again, he's not going to stop KD by himself. It's got, it's got to be a team thing, but mm. there's your KD matchup divide up Lonzo and Caruso between Kyrie and Harden. However, you see those two breaking out to me, I just feel better about that than, you know, what the bulls have in house um, right yeah. now. Uh, that doesn't mean I don't see the case for, um, you know, hanging on to, Patrick, because I like anybody who follows me, you know, has read my stuff, has listened to, you know, our podcasts over at NBC, like knows I'm high on Patrick Williams. Like he definitely, I think, is going to be a good NBA player and has high two way potential. Um, It's just about with this group right now, if you believe in this group, what 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 is this window in terms of, you know, is it just this season? Is it a year to two years? Um, Because as high of a level as Damar is playing at. Uh, right now, you know, as high level as Vooch can maybe get to, you st- we still got to see that on a consistent basis. You know, those guys are only under contract for tomorrow, two more years, and then Vucevic next season. Um, and both are kind of getting up into, you know, towards the tail end of their primes a little bit, just age wise, not, you know, tomorrow obviously is playing like he's still in the, in the thick of his prime. Um, uh, but just from an age perspective, you know, do you want to, do you want to go all in on this one to two year window or do you want to, you know, push it off in the future where, Maybe there's a higher ceiling long term, but also nothing is promised. It's 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 a fascinating question. I have ways that I'm leaning, but I still, you know, I, I can't say confidently which is the right answer because there's so much uncertainty either direction. Staying on the Patrick Williams topic, um, watching him as far as like seeing stills of him and pictures of him and pregame shoot, like he's taking shooting practice and things like that. Uh, there was the report that he's no longer obviously wearing uh, the cast. Uh, we already saw that, that he wasn't wearing the cast, but that he has that removable brace where he can take the brace off, on and off. Um, I thought that maybe we may be seeing a, a quicker timeline. I know the Bulls are still being, are being overly cautious and not really committing to him returning this season. But I was thinking, like, he could probably be back after the All-Star break. Like, would that surprise you if that happened? Not necessarily. I, I think it's too early to know exactly. But the window when he when he first had the surgery was just after the All-Star break to like mid-April, which would be right on the start of the playoffs. I imagine if and when he comes back, the Bulls are going to want to give him more runway than, you know, right at the doorstep of the playoffs. Because the entire conversation we just had about Jeremy Grant, it applies to Patrick Williams, too. Like, if Patrick Williams comes back, I feel better about the way – even if it's – even if you can't rely, um, you know – even if we we shouldn't expect too much from him coming off of this traumatic injury, being in year two, being 20 years old, missing out on, you know, most of a season of development. I still feel better about the way the Bulls match up against the best in the East. If he's in there just because of his size and the skill set that he has, especially if he has a little bit of a ramp up. 
Um, no, just after the All-Star break wouldn't necessarily surprise me, but it's it's too early, I think, just because they haven't put they haven't updated the timeline um, yet. Uh, it, it's it's too early for me to say definitively when I would see him coming back. I mean, I guess if I had to guess, I would probably just go down the middle of that four to six month and say sometime in March. That's that's probably what the you know the best educated guess I could make is. But um, you know, given how you know serious the implications seemed on that injury at the time, I think you have to be pretty happy with his progress to be out of the cast. Um, he's starting to get, you know, do some strength work with that left wrist and forearm, some range of motion stuff. Um, Billy gave us an update uh, pregame last night um, and said that he's kind of maybe moving towards um, soon doing some, you know, ball handling stuff and some, you know, catch and shoot stuff, but he, he still has to get that strength and range of motion up um, in that wrist before he's able to do that. Um, so, I think I, given that the initial report, I think it was from Woj was that it was expected to be season ending. I think he's in a pretty good spot right now. Um, if you're the bulls though, I don't know. And maybe I'd be curious your guys' opinion of this. I just don't know if you can operate under the assumption that you're going to be getting, you know, the maximum production that we were expecting for Patrick Williams coming into this season when he's coming off of this injury and it's going to need, you know, an acclimation period. Um, so yeah, it's it's tough to say, but uh, certainly because of the timeline that the team put out initially and how much progress he's made so far, I'm, you know, expecting him to be back this season. It's just uh, a matter of when. And the safest guess I can make is that it's probably in the middle of that late February to late, uh, or sorry, late February to late April timeline. That's that's the best guess I could put on it, but that's purely speculative, obviously. Yeah, I think it's just. Uh, I- if you can count on Pat at all this season, I, I just don't want, I wouldn't want to put that pressure on him being like, Oh, yeah. you're going to be the guy that you, that just goes out there and defends Giannis and, and Katie. You're, you're just going to be that guy <laughs> that does it. Like that's, that's too much of coming off of an injury like this and long layoff, not having, again, he missed a training camp, you know, again, he's missed so much time to work on his game, to play, uh, to you know, to improve on the court, and then saying, okay, well, now you have a month to get ready for the playoffs. So now you're gonna have to go defend KD, Giannis, and um, you know, even at times match up with other you know bigs and fours in the East that they're not easy to match up against. So yeah, I just I I, I would like to again, you know, it's 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 weird, you know, I would like for the Bulls to really up add somebody at the four, even if it's not involving a trade involving Pat, but maybe. We've talked about guys like P.J. Washington. I think you would probably have to involve Kobe to get P.J. Washington um, and then maybe even the Portland pick. But if you can if you can add a player like him, too, um, I think that makes a big difference. And then Pat can, you know, come in off the bench and just kind of, you know, contribute in whatever aspect and, uh, you know, capacity that he can. But, yeah, I don't, I don't like I – mean, as much as I wanted him to just come in and be like, yo, this is, I'm going to be that star that you guys thought I was going to be. Um, I just don't think it's very, it makes sense to depend on him to be the savior at the four. Definitely. Definitely. Especially given what he's, um, what he's gone through this season. I've been, I've been curious about the PJ. I saw the PJ Washington stuff. I, I, is he, is he legitimate? Like bulls target is my question. Cause I, I get the sense that he's, something that the Hornets would look to move to upgrade the center spot. Yeah. A hundred percent. I don't think it would, if it is a, a bulls target, it would have to be a three-way trade where the, bull, yeah. the Hornets get someone like a miles Turner. For example, I know somebody um, 
I can't remember. I think Will Gottlieb had uh, made a proposed a you know a fake trade, and it was essentially both sending out Kobe and the first to like I think Indiana maybe or something like that, mm-hmm. and then Indiana sending Turner to uh, the Hornets, and then the Bulls getting like like Tory Craig and PJ Washington or something like that. Yeah. Some variation of of that type of trade. Where, like, obviously, where you know a team like Indiana that's looking to rebuild gets a future asset and a young player, but yeah, PJ a straight swap with the Bulls probably doesn't make sense because the Hornets aren't looking to just trade PJ for an asset; they're looking to upgrade certain aspects of their team. Yeah, the the bio market will be interesting for me to watch, especially if the Bulls can stay in this you know, upper, 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 upper echelon um, of the Eastern conference. If they could be an attractive destination for those types of guys, that can be a way to make an upgrade, but also not, you know, go too crazy in the mortgaging the future slash like giving away assets um, yeah. department. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, remains to be seen who, who, be, who comes available in that respect. Yeah. That's why I haven't really been too concerned about like a, like a backup, like improving like backup center or something like that. Cause usually those type of guys are usually available when, you know, mm-hmm. during buyout season. But PJ Washington would definitely be an interesting target. I mean, he's still really young too, though, at twenty three. So I would imagine that uh if the Hornets do look to move him, like they could definitely get a bunch back. So uh like Salim said a three team deal would make a lot of sense uh for them and or for us mostly to try and get involved in that. But I mean that would be a deal where you definitely feel like, okay, yeah, like we we upgraded and maybe we I guess it depends on what we're giving up in that. Like Kobe in a pick, I don't, I don't know. I mean, hey, <laughs> it's it's tough. Like right now, they're trying to really improve this team without taking away what's been working. So it's kind of a task you don't really envy. But I mean, hey, that's why they get paid the big bucks. Yeah, yeah. The chemistry. Yeah, the chem the chemistry thing is uh, the chemistry thing is really interesting. That, yeah. that, how much that's been emphasized, and and it really has when they've been winning. It has been to me integral to the success. Just having fun, being around each other, having fun playing that that stuff. You know, is certainly a factor in yeah. uh in how much synergy teams have. Yeah, hundred percent. So we'll wrap up on this. I know outside of the last two games, vibes in general have been really high on the Bulls, um, and we're, we're seeing national guys writing fluff pieces about the Chicago Bulls. It's that's how high vibes are right now. Uh, recently, Adrian Wojnarowski, uh, Woj known obviously as Woj wrote a article on interviewing Michael Reinsdorf on AK. Um, have you had the opportunity to read that article? And what are your thoughts as far as you just reading that and seeing, um, these things being talked about on a national stage about AK and the Bulls in general? Yeah, uh, definitely read it. Um, I mean, first, I think those are Michael Reinsdorf's first public comments since um, since the intro press conference when he hired AK. So certainly significant. A um, couple things stood out, things that we already knew, but to hear it come from the ownership level has has significance to it. Just the how transformed the building is. Like these are things that you even sense, like from my perspective. And I was only around for the tail end of the Garpax era, but. You could just sense it being around, um, you know, just the I think I think uh, Michael Ryan sort of used the phrase like drama free, like free of any of, you know, those kind of ancillary things that can, you know, infect, uh, infect the culture or infect the building. Those things are are not there. Um, the uh, the level to which relationships were emphasized, um, especially with Zach. 
Um, like I've said, you know, injury aside, I've said, you know, plenty of times that Zach really is kind of the protagonist of this season, just in the sense that this front office getting to know him and getting to see what he was about um, led to them having the belief in him to make all the moves that they've made to build around him fast. Um, so he's kind of the reason that this has all come together so quickly uh, for the bulls. So that was a, that was a significant takeaway to me. And um, you know, I also, and I think this speaks to, to Michael Reinsdorf's personality a little bit. Like he made sure to clarify, this is not a victory lap. I don't think our job is finished. I don't think uh, I, like, I still think we need to improve. Um, but he's happy where they're at. And I think that's something that gets, and again, you talk about synergy from top to bottom of, of an organization. You've got Michael Reinsdorf saying that, and you've got Billy, you know, down at the head coaching level saying that on a night to night basis during the nine game winning streak, uh, you know, kind of opining, you know, the team's defensive slippage that is obviously now is coming back to bite them in the butt a little bit. Um, but this is something that's something that's been getting talked about even when things were at their height. Um, so that kind of organizational mentality of, uh, you know, as good as things are, we're not finished. We're not trying to take victory laps right now. Um, that I would say uh, is encouraging to see if I'm a fan reading it. Um, and then, yeah, just the, you know, national exposure. I mean, the bulls are back in the spotlight. The bulls are back relevant. Steve Kerr is getting questions in his pregame last night about, uh, you know, how good is it to see the bulls, uh, you know, being back in the, in, in, to the, to the extent that they are. Um, so, you know, all that stuff is, great for the brand. I suppose. I, I think the NBA would say it's good for the NBA just having, you know, a major market actually, um, you know, being relevant. Um, the downside and the caveat is, you know, two nationally televised games this week. They didn't <laughs> live up. To, they didn't, they didn't live up to that uh, necessarily, but uh, you know, half a season still in front. Um, they got to get whole. Uh, but uh, yeah, I, I definitely thought that interview was uh, significant and there were, there were a couple interesting uh, nuggets in there from, from Michael Reinsdorf. I thought the, I thought the timing of the interview was just kind of convenient and a little funny. I mean, obviously it wasn't, had nothing to do with the bears, but just like a few days earlier in the week where like Twitter is blowing up with what the McCaskies said at their presser. And now they're trying to, they're kind of in the same situation. The bulls were a few years back where people want like a similar type of uh, front office transformation and kind of culture reset and, you know, reimagination. So it's still surreal that it happened uh, with the Bulls. And they, uh, you definitely have to, you know, as much as we have criticized the Reinsdorfs in the past, you absolutely have to give credit to them this time for what they've been able to do by, you know, believing in AK and Eversley and, you know, not being in the way of everything and actually giving this organization a chance to kind of reset and, you know, just do things in a different manner. Like the team that was built this year is really built unlike any Bulls team that we've seen in the past in terms of like the trades that they've made to to really get here. So it's just it's really surreal when you just think about it. Yeah. And I and that's kind of the lesson, right? Again, yeah. as much deserved criticism as as that ownership group has has gotten. Mm-hmm. I think the lesson for the Bears is just find someone with a real eye for the sport that your team is in and hand the keys over, you know, that's, that's kind of the lesson from, from what the bulls have done and, and what they've done so quickly. I mean, I think any fan would say this, any media member would say this, maybe even people on the bulls would say it. And Michael Reinstorf said it like they had confidence that AK was going to turn things around for, for, for it to happen this quickly has even been a surprise um, to them. Yeah. Right. Right. Um, I think one of my, my favorite quote that really stood out to me in here, it's, it's one of the first quotes from Michael Ranzo. So he says, when we hired Arturis, 
I was confident that he would help turn things around. But I can't say I thought it would be this quickly. There are no issues. There's no drama. Just everyone wanting to get to the next level. It's a good feeling. And it makes me think about the last like 10 plus years under Gar and Pax. And even when they were trying to get better, there was always drama. There's always infighting or something going on, infighting with players, infighting with coaches, um, you know, just negative vibes, even when they were winning. Um, and I, I, it kind of made me wonder, like, if Michael Reiser was kind of like, you know what, you know, Jerry was whatever about it. But you have to wonder if Michael Reiser, like, took note of that. And he's like, you know, this is a nice change of pace. Like, we're just trying to get better and no one's fighting. There's no, you know, <laughs> leaks about this team where uh so-and-so player is leaking about how their coach, they don't like their head coach or the head coach is leaking something about uh, the GM that they don't like Mark Eversley or something like that uh, happening. Mm-hmm. Right. It's just pure. We're just trying to get better as an organization from top to bottom. Hey, and, and hell man. I mean, when that Portland job came open and who knows with Joe Cronin, like maybe that interim thing becomes a full-time thing. He's like making hires in that front office. So I'm not really sure, you know, the full details what's going on over there, but when that job, when Neil Olshea was first let go, Chris Haynes, one of the first names in terms of like a top candidate that they wanted and doesn't speak to, you know, if that's actually going to happen just one of their top, you know, candidates for options was Mark Eversley. Like think about that. You know, when I was first coming on your guys' pod two, three seasons ago, the, the Bulls, front office would have, you know, poachable candidates and that they'd be getting that kind of like right. wide praise and interest. Like that wasn't, that just wasn't a thing that was happening. hundred percent, hundred percent. But uh, yeah, but you know, that's pretty much a wrap for today's show. Did you have any final thoughts, Rob, uh, that you wanted to uh, obviously partake on? And then also anything that you have uh, working on right now that readers should uh, be aware of or viewers you know, uh, should be aware of? Yeah. Final thoughts. Just reiterate. We were talking about at the beginning of the podcast, big, big stretch coming up uh, with Memphis, uh, with Cleveland and Milwaukee next week. Uh, Bulls got to find a way to right the ship. Um, you know, uh, Casey and I over at NBC Sports uh, Chicago, we've always got a lot of stuff in the works. Um, we're in the weeds every day. So um, I would just direct people to NBC Sports Chicago dot com. Uh, we've got an app. It's called the My Teams app. You get all our articles in and uh, the Bulls Talk podcast. Casey and I. Um, and sometimes Jason Goff, Tony Gill, we have guests that that'll rotate in occasionally as well, um, over on, uh, the Bulls talk podcast feed every Tuesday and Friday. Um, yeah, those are, uh, those are my plugs, Tony Gill. If you're listening, I did it. I got, I got Bulls talk podcast in there. So, <laughs> um, but yeah, and, and, you know, just thanks again for, uh, for having me guys. It's always fun to chop it up. Yeah, always, always great having your insights on the team. hundred percent. It's a pleasure having you on your, our, our go-to uh bulls beat reporter uh, i will always say that so i uh, love having you on um ed any final thoughts as we uh get uh out of here uh yeah just hoping for uh just hoping for a better week for the team uh after this one this was kind of rough even going back to the uh dallas game so <laughs> it's just losing going from uh winning nine in a row to losing three of the last four and then having like injuries on top of that just just kind of a rough stretch so hoping for some better stuff uh next week at least yeah hopefully hopefully they can maybe bounce back today even with how short they're going to be like i guess maybe lonzo's not going to play maybe and he's questionable maybe he'll play i don't know but hopefully maybe they can beat a boston team that has gone through their own struggles um that'd be quite something you know maybe a, a big negative on boston that they couldn't beat a really depleted bulls team 
Uh, but that would be nice if he can bounce back today because that Memphis game is not going to be, uh, I don't think that's going to be a win. Yeah. Um, but anyways, that's a wrap for today's show. Please follow us on at Bulls Gold. Also our personal Twitter accounts at Salim underscore BG hoops. And then Edward is at Edward Shula Jr. If you missed any previous episodes, you can find us under the Barroom Network on all major and minor podcast platforms. Thank you again to Rob Schaefer for joining us and to the listeners for tuning in. As always, for Edward Shula and myself, till next time, Bulls fans. 